0: Here we go again. Chewing. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something
1: truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued.
0: Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Boylan, and with me is my friend
1: Drew Brett. How you doing?
0: Ah, oh, it feels so good to be recording again.
1: Welcome home.
0: <laughs> no kidding. I feel—I don't know why, but I feel like every time we record, I say this, but it feels like it's been too long, far too long. Yeah, maybe there's it, it just been a no while. It, it's really only been like two weeks though But it, I feel like so much has happened in those two weeks But we'll get to this Well, that. Yeah. Save it.
1: well tell us about it What's been oh, going on in your in your world these days
0: Oh you know just a, a few things Nothing too major um, I got engaged So that's Yay, cool. Yay I'm not going to be alone for the rest of my life
1: so, Well I mean there's no guarantees on that but. Well
0: that's also true
1: But uh, yeah
0: so Last weekend, I uh, I went to my first con, Intergalacticon in San Diego, which was amazing. And if you weren't there, you need to get there in twenty nineteen. It was so much fun. Um,
1: this so is your first convention ever. It
0: was my first convention ever. Yeah.
1: Oh wow! I didn't. I don't think I realized that. What was the general theme? Is it like just comic books or science so fiction? Or it's
0: uh, Intergalacticon is kind of focused on bringing the community back to comic cons. Um, it's kind of aimed at being a place where you can go to panels, you can see things you wouldn't see in other places, but also you can come and just hang out with people and hang out with your friends. And, um, it was, it was fun. I met, uh, have you, Star BQ podcast, Foden bead met them. They are so cool. Oh, awesome. Yeah. They're cool dudes. Um, and so you can, I think I have some pictures on Facebook, but if not, I'm working on getting a whole photo album, i will have that stuff up. Um, and I'll, I'll share it in the clashing sabers community. So if you guys are not over there, jump on over there, uh, on Facebook, but yeah, it's just kind of a, it's a laid back kind of just come hang out with your friends, have a few drinks, play some tabletop games, go walk around and, and see different things. Uh, there were different artists there, comic book artists, uh, creators. It was really cool. But if we're talking star Wars, the best part was I got to meet Colin Cantwell. Do you know who Colin Cantwell is?
1: Um artist of some kind, right? Just
0: just a small one. He created some things. You may have heard of them. Have you heard of this thing called the Death Star?
1: Sounds familiar. Okay. It was under construction the last time I saw it.
0: Yeah. You may you may know some something else. Let me try this one. Have you heard of an X Wing or a TIE Fighter?
1: No, I've heard of Y Wings, the most superior of all space fighters.
0: Have you heard of if the Millennium Falcon?
1: The ship that made the Kessel run in 14 parsecs? 12! 14. Did we just set that up on purpose? No,
0: we really didn't. That was great. <laughs> you said it, and I'm like, oh, he's going there. This is awesome. Sorry for the <laughs> terrible Harrison Ford impression. But yeah, so I got to meet Colin Cantwell and go to his panel. He's the guy. He uh, created the Death Star, or the designs for the Death Star, the original models, the X-Wing, stuff like that. That's so crazy. It was really cool. And um, yeah, it was like, I was sitting next to Fode and he's just like, dude, this is my childhood, like right in front of my eyes right now. And I'm like, I know, I just have complete goosebumps. It was crazy. So it was really cool. So Steve Kirk uh, from San Diego Sabres radio podcast was uh, hosting it and running it and doing everything. And he was fantastic. It was such, such a good time. Definitely going to try to make it out there in 2019.
1: Um, Absolutely. That sounds like a plan.
0: It'll be it'll be a lot less stressful than trying to pull off an engagement at the same time. So <laughs> maybe I'll get to. Yeah,
1: that would have been a nightmare to try and coordinate because you had you, tra- you had to get her out there and you were trying to do all this kind of online stuff at the same time.
0: Yeah, it was a little insane. Um, I was having to delete like every text message that I ever got um, <laughs> and <laughs> make sure that like she never looked at my phone because so. I wanted to have her family there, Um, and not all of her family could come. Uh, Her dad and stepmom were able to make it out there, but we Skyped in the rest of her family, and so just coordinating all the moving pieces and making sure nobody accidentally slipped and all these things. And then, like, it was going to be right after my panel, uh, which, which I'll get to in a minute, but the last, like, five minutes of the panel, her parents were supposed to come in the back because she was in the front, and then as we were watching, I, I got a video made for her. And as we were watching the video, they were going to kind of come up closer so they could Skype and, and everything. And it's like the last five minutes of my panel and the 501st is coming in and more people are coming in. And wow. I'm like, okay, Steve's like getting people here for this. And I still don't see your parents and I still don't see your parents. And then they pulled me off stage to show the video and I still don't see your parents. So I'm having a full-on panic attack because the only thing I can't, change on the fly that I can't adjust to on the fly is having her family there and so I'm like I'm like video doesn't work I can run my mouth for a little bit like I lose the ring I can take the ring off that I have and just give her a ring later like all I had contingency contingency plans for everything except for that and so last minute last minute I turned around to grab the ring from uh, my co-host of the panel and uh, I see her parents there and I was like oh thank god and so Everything went <laughs> flawlessly, and uh I don't know, do you see the pictures on Facebook? We actually got a, a lightsaber tunnel as we walked out of the the doors. It was really cool
1: I did it was adorable it was
0: it was very, very cool, so uh shout out to just everybody who worked intergalacticon who helped set this up uh it was an amazing, amazing memory, and uh it, I can't thank you guys enough so anyways, um but well yeah, done the, Job team. The, the the panel just to touch on that real quick was was a lot of fun um i basically just talked about star wars and teaching um and how i use it in the classroom so um you guys have heard me talk about that enough and if you want to hear more about it or see my powerpoint or um whatever if that's something that interests you shoot me an email network at gmail.com and i will hook you up with that stuff full free uh just let me know i'm always trying to support oh, wow. other people but yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to. I could go into a whole hour tirade on that, and I don't want to for the for those people who are <laughs> like, you, shut up did about did your get recorded. Yeah, I did. I did you get the a, panel recorded? Yeah, I have to uh, get my hands on it, um, but I, I haven't had the chance to to do that yet, and so because um, I like came back okay. and had to get right to school, so I'm hoping I'll be able to get the get the copy of the panel, and I'm gonna ask Steve and hopefully be able to put it up on. Um, my YouTube and slash our Facebook group. So more to come on that. Uh, but anyway, yeah. enough about me. What are you Star Warsing lately, Drew?
1: Well, that's a that's a tough question because I feel like I might be the only person having fun with this at the moment. Um, and I know we don't really care to do a whole lot of like news segments or things, but we can't ignore the fact that there's this oh this wonderful little group of human beings on the internet. Um, who have made it their lives' missions to evidently remake the Last Jedi? They've got a website, they've got a GoFundMe, they've got a Twitter account, and it's hilarious because all I want to do is come up with the most miserable ideas for them to do, and then feed them these terrible things. They've gotten attention from Ryan Johnson, from Hamill, from Frank Oz, from all of these guys. Going, really, really? This is what we're spending our energy on, guys. This is for real. Frank Oz just Oz's one was of those the things. Best. It's- Taking things to the absurd.
0: It was ridiculous.
1: Yeah, Oz's response on, on Twitter was like, of all the things you can do with your time and energy, you're going you're gonna to go to go to the mattresses over a movie like this. And Ryan Johnson was great. He just retweeted all of their stuff and said, please, 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 please make this happen. And I think it's great. Um, I think it's sad and pathetic, but I think it's also hilarious. And I think we as fans can all band together and agree that this is the most ridiculous thing to happen in a long time. So I was, I, I was thinking, like, what if we did, like, the top three most ridiculous things we wanted to see in, in The Last Jedi remake? And I've already got my number one. Are you ready for this?
0: Oh, God. I don't know if I am. I. Go ahead.
1: Oh, oh, it's the best. It's the best. You'll love it. I would like to see an all-female edit where the only things on screen have to have a female character in it. Wouldn't that make that movie fantastic?
0: That would be amazing. <laughs> I heard somebody That uh, would be so Somebody to what they're trying to do. Somebody tweeted uh, the remake of the Last Jedi is gonna happen, and every character is gonna be Kelly Ma- Kelly Marie Tran because she's awesome. It's a great idea. <laughs> I love
1: it. I love I it. no! Um, more musical numbers. I'd be a big fan of like you know a Jabba's Palace style Jedi Rocks musical number. Like if they did like a Jedi Rocks remix in the middle of it, that would be really cool. I'd be fine with all that kind of stuff. I think we just flood these kinds of insane avenues with even more insane ideas until it just dies a horrible terrible painful death live on the internet for all of us to enjoy I, I think that is a fantastic might be idea. a little might be a little vindictive okay
0: <laughs> you know <laughs> like the thing is if you don't like the last Jedi that's cool like that's your your call like it's a it's a divisive movie I get that but don't be a douche about it like have a productive (laughs) conversation these people are not even having productive conversations like they're not even engaging in like the conversation about what is wrong with the last jedi they just don't like it and i'm like that's not how that's not how critiques work and you have literally no plan for what you're going to do for this remake for the last jedi like you don't have a script written and i'm pretty sure the 97 million dollars that you say you have is kind of a lie so, I, I don't know. Just the whole thing is ridiculous. That's
1: my favorite part. The money? That is my favorite part. The fact that they claim to have... Yeah, they claim to have $100 million pledged yeah, already amazing. for this, according to their website. Which Oh, it's great. It's fantastic. I'm it's... having a great time. <laughs> Who would have thought... This is Everybody the kind thought Solo was going to bring us all back bad. together.
0: Everybody thought Solo was going to bring us all back together, and it wasn't. It's the remake of The Last Jedi that's bringing us all together as a fandom again.
1: I find it the most fascinating thing in a long time that somebody went through this kind of effort to come up with an introductory video, um, uh, reward levels, like if you pledge X number of dollars, you get so many different cool things. Um, I mean if you can't laugh about this kind of thing, I don't know what you're doing with your life because this is the, this is great. This is fantastic. Somebody thinks this is the most important thing and and they're going to be so proud of it that at the end of this escapade they're going to be like I contributed something to the community at large. And we're all going to be like dude, stop. This hurts all of our hearts, but not enough for me to not make fun of it.
0: <laughs> do we do we know who's like I'm um, air quotes officially Behind this have they like said who they are
1: That's a good question I, I, um, I don't know that there's a I don't know that there's a name associated with it And I don't think you know that, If I were these guys I wouldn't put a name Associated with it at all um, I don't want to make these guys The targets of anything Other than ridiculousness Because um, If you're trying to show people The best way to respond to things You can't be idiots and jerks back to them Like, you can't, like, DDoS attack these guys and try to get their website down. If nothing, I would promote their stuff to no end so that they can be, be, you know, out there and known for this kind of thing and let that be its own type of reward. Um, They are going to get the worst cease and desist letter from Lucasfilm that we have ever seen, and I so want them to post that on the internet.
0: (laughs) So first of all yeah you're totally right i don't i don't want the the people behind this to be ostracized because they have a different opinion and that they take their opinion seriously because i mean that's what clashing sabers is all about but it is like to the point of ridiculousness where it's like is this a parody are they being serious here or are they doing this just to get people to react kind of thing because i'm looking at it like i'm
1: oh no Genuinely desire this to occur. Like, did you read through their Twitter feed? They had like a seventeen tweet long manifesto that they put out of all the things they thought were wrong with it. Have you read through that list?
0: No, I haven't. Oh, I need this.
1: Oh, oh, please. We should do like a dramatic interpretation of it one day because it is it's Shakespearean in the quality of 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 insanity that these guys are going to. And, And again, it's not things that are new it's you know complaints of why did no one tell poe about the running to crate why was he kept in the dark it's um why is rose so mean to finn why is luke hiding on the planet instead of being a good person it's all the same stuff that people have been complaining about since this movie came out in december and evidently they've just not been looking at any of the responses i guess because I feel like that a lot of those things have been discussed and most of them knocked down. Um, I, I don't know I just why they're to do that. but it...
0: I went on a Twitter search for Remake The Last Jedi and there are now parody accounts of Remake The Last Jedi. It's great. Oh, oh. There's, remi- oh. there's remake. There's no, remake of the remake of the remake of the last Jedi with <laughs> lightsaber boy on it. There's remake of the remake of the remake of the remake of the last Jedi. Our budget is sixty nine dollars, and it's got <laughs> it's got shirtless Ben Solo. Oh man, I love this is what makes Star Wars great. Not like making fun of other people because we're not making fun of anybody we're not making fun of the the individuals who are supporting this project because that is their prerogative. But just the the humor that comes from Star Wars, I mean, it's... Part of what makes Star Wars fun is how much we can make fun of it. It's the robot chicken stuff of the galaxy. That we're just like, this is ridiculous. And it's now blood over to the fandom. Yeah, it's but fantastic. it's
1: why it's real humans like we're approaching the event horizon of ridiculousness it's fantastic to just kind of watch these things implode upon themselves and because they're doing it in such a public manner it's it's not like there's anybody to blame for this kind of thing it's like we're like a train wreck you just, you don't want to stare at it but you cannot look away from this stuff
0: and they have so
1: so that's, I that's what got, i've been doing the, the first today. thing i
0: did was go to their <laughs> website like And they have, on the bottom of the page, they have quotes from Ryan Johnson, Mark Hamill, and Kathleen Kennedy that they they present it in a manner where it's like, oh, these are quotes about why we would want to remake The Last Jedi. But in actuality, they are quotes that are taken extremely out of context, which is completely (laughs) in tune with our clickbait media. And it's great. It's great. Anyways, to those of you who have... Made great tweets about this and just brought smiles to my face while I was at the dentist office all day. I thank you. You're fantastic, and I love you.
1: <laughs> that is awesome. this is great. And if you guys out there listening have not checked this out, please, please visit remake dot Don't tell them you're going to pledge nothing. Or maybe we should maybe we should sign up with an, our email address just so we could like follow along from home <laughs> and like pledge ten. Look, let, let's uh, let's look at our pledge. Do you because if Brandon, if you want to like contribute together for five thousand dollars, if we you and I pledge five thousand dollars, we can get screen credit on that, the eventual thing. That sounds for like 100 a great bucks, idea. You can be in the movie.
0: For only a no, hundred no, bucks. For,
1: for hundred let's think about it, think about this for just a moment. For a hundred dollars you can be in the movie. But to get screen credit you have to spend five thousand dollars. <laughs> This is great. This is great. I, I want to see think, this just happen. think about uh, all the $10 money we'll make, we'll make getting signings
0: me. at cons going forward. We're just going to be I extra, know seriously. that con game.
1: Oh, we we could have like those big banners on the left and right with our faces, like screenshots from the thing, like looking all serious, like that three quarters uh, profile shot, and just be like Smolder, you know that kind of thing. Hey, I, I think it. we should do it. Twenty five dollars will net you a limited edition T shirt. <laughs>
0: In limited edition, in that the cease and assist letter will stop the production of the T-shirts.
1: Well, yeah, it's it's how many they order from tpublic.com at a time. That's really as <laughs> nice limited as it gets.
0: Five hundred gets you a personalized Force FX lightsaber. Because you
1: can't order those from the company for like ninety nine dollars or something. Yeah,
0: I'm pretty <laughs> sure you can. Yeah, get one for a hundred and get it engraved. A thousand dollars for a prop remake. <laughs>
1: Oh man. This is what I'm talking about. It's great. Good this time. kind of stuff makes my heart happy. I, I really don't have any explanation for why that is other than like again, the ridiculous. there's something about the joy and the absurdity of all of that.
0: the The cover image that it. they have for their video with Ryan Johnson's head on top of Ray holding out a remake script is literally the worst Photoshop I've ever seen in my life. Like, I've never done Photoshop. But That's looked... definitely
1: the Photoshop skills that make it seem like they can make a movie.
0: Yeah. Well, It, it looks like <laughs> one of those uh, ransom letters where they take the letters and cut them all out and glue them into. That's what it looks <laughs> like.
1: <laughs> oh, there's something being held for ransom here. I just don't know what it is. They can keep it for all oh. I know.
0: For 97 mil. Like, seriously? I'm sorry. If y'all donated $97 million to me, I'm not making a movie. I'm taking it and going to the Cayman Islands, and y'all are never finding me again. So, peace. (laughs) Going to change my Twitter name and everything.
1: They claim to have pledged $97 million. (laughs) It's it's great. Sure, you know what? Go for it, guys. I'm behind you 97 million percent. Go for (laughs) it. (laughs) Our... oh dear so let's right, move, on, move on because i don't i, 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 I do do want to touch whole, on one more yeah. thing uh
0: just to kind of take it to a more positive note i guess um so i am reading uh most wanted right now the haunting kira book and i don't want to do get oh, too okay. much into it because of course we'll we'll get into it and don't burn the sacred text soon but i am really surprised with this book and i just wanted anybody who's listening who didn't check it out it really take it it doesn't take you in the direction you would think it would take you with these characters because minor spoiler alert but it's like the first two pages of the book so you're fine but when you start solo you feel like han and kira have been together forever you know like they they have that at least i got the impression that they were like the little kids that grew up together and always liked each other and then they started loving each other and they were together and blah 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 starting the beginning of this book which they're about 18 years old so it's just a little bit before solo they don't even barely talk to each other like they do not like each other at all and so yeah so it was a really and i didn't read the synopsis for it or anything going in um because i've kind of just stopped doing that because i know i'm gonna read the book anyway so i like the surprise and yeah so shout out to ray carson because i know she listens to the podcast because you know we're kind of a big deal but It's a it's a very well written (laughs) book. It's a quick read. So if you haven't checked it out, check it out um, and check out Don't Burn the Sacred Text. We'll dig into it some more. But I just wanted to say that. All right. So do you want to
1: take a quick break and then we can come back to it? We will come
0: right back after this with we haven't even introduced our show topic for today. Guys, what are we thinking? We are doing the top three, bottom three teachable moments and slash teaching moments. We'll define that a little better in a minute in the Star Wars galaxy. So hang tight and we will be right back after this. Well, I best be getting back to my master before
1: he misses me.
0: Certainly, but first I need one last favor from you. Sure, name it. Pass on what you have learned. Hello, old friend. Greetings, Master Sanube. Padawan Tano, a lesson you have for us today, hmm? Yes. A lesson in patience. Gather round, younglings. Listen to the Padawan you shall. This weapon is your life, but it is also
1: your responsibility. Don't let it out of your sight
0: all right welcome back and we are going to jump into our topic for the day our topic is our top three bottom three teaching moments in the star wars galaxy and let's go drew let's go ahead and and kind of talk first before we jump into our list about how each of us defined these moments and also any rules and parameters that we may have put onto our lists so why don't you go ahead and and do yours first? <laughs> you I, say, I know you have a little, yeah. a few more rules than I do.
1: Yeah, you say may have put as if you didn't know I have like a list of rules to put on it. So we we were kind of kicking this idea around in relation to the, the you know to your your convention appearance and, and teaching with Star Wars in the classroom and, and what you can use it there for. And we kind of wanted to discuss what the best examples of teaching or teachable moments or actual education moments in the, in the in the universe there. And so I wanted to put a little bit more structure around it than that because that doesn't really work. So I try to come up with what makes a good teaching moment and how do you define a top moment versus a bottom moment was a little bit of a challenge. So I considered kind of these following things, and this may be a list. Um, there's There's got to be the applicability of the lesson inside the film but also outside of the film as well would make it a good teaching thing. Um, if it's positive and life-affirming makes it po- makes it a, a, a good thing. Um, if it's something that helps the student be successful in their goals, so it has to be something that's worthwhile. Um, it has to be something that can be passed on from person to person, so it's not just like, oh, here's how you do your particular thing. and makes you amazing, and no one else can ever do it. Um, the difference between an explicit or implicit lesson, and this is kind of like the Obi-Wan Kenobi thing. Obi-Wan Kenobi is a weird character because... He has really great but moments stop. of, you know, the Force is what gives a Jedi his power, you know. you know. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. But he also has really terrible moments of, this weapon is your life, Anakin. And things of, like, this is save not it, working for me, Obi-Wan. It, okay, save it, save it. <laughs> All right. Uh, and the last, last thing I have, g- good teaching um, sh- has to be different from simple education. Um, and, and this is going to be exemplified in one of the two that I have in mind, but good teaching doesn't leave as many questions as the student had when they walked into the conversation. So good teaching should, um, should definitely educate, but it should also provide some completeness. I think like if you're working on adding and subtracting, and then by the end of the day, you don't know how to add 10 and 10. And probably didn't work out so well. So if you have more questions than answers at the end of the conversation, it may have not been so successful. Um, that's kind of the end of my list of rules. And um, caveat, I may choose to ignore certain parts of these rules as we go through things as well. So <laughs> um, no one's keeping me to these things anyway. Nobody's holding a, a gun to my head with these anyway. So I'm going to do what I want with them. Did you have any particular <laughs> rules or guidelines that you wanted to put around it?
0: Um I mean, I kind of generally, I think, fall into the guidelines that you have, except for maybe the the last one, um, because I also think a good lesson opens up a lot of new questions. Um, so I think that should be said with it. it. I think what you were getting at is, right, that if, if you didn't answer their immediate question and teach them immediately what they were trying to learn, then you probably failed as a teacher in that lesson. But also, if you didn't create new questions and get them wanting to learn more about that topic, in another way, you also kind of failed in that lesson. And so um, I think that kind of goes yeah. with my list. Okay. Um, for me, what I mostly focused on were, from for my top was kind of what is what are the best lessons both in-universe and out-of-universe, something that's applicable inside the universe and outside the universe. And then as far as my bottom three goes, I basically just stuck with what are the, the lessons that really failed the students um, and went with that. So that's uh, that's kind of oh, really wow. the only wow, okay. I, I don't want to say too much. That's reading, a
1: different approach it. that I took from my bottom. No, yeah. no, no, I like that. That's a different approach that I took from my bottom three. My three were, were more like... Which things did were attempts at teaching but either don't land well or teach the wrong lesson.
0: Yeah. We'll I, I, I think though I think those will kind of lead to the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I don't
1: know about that. <laughs> we'll
0: see. So do you want to start with the top three or you wanna start with the bottom three?
1: Well, we started with top three last time. Oh no, I'm sorry, we started with we started bottom, bottom three last yeah. bottom. Why don't we start with the top three this time
0: sounds good you want to go ahead with your number three
1: okay number three is and i'm going to go in with the all wings report in scene from um a new hope the motion picture um and the, the reason i'll go with this as a as a as one of my top three lessons is because it's a demonstration between uh the good guys and the bad guys and one of the main differences is that the good guys work as a team they need a squadron you've got all wings have to report in and you've got a dozen X-wings and a dozen Y-wings, um, all trying to work together on this one single goal. Red Leader couldn't get done by himself. Gold Leader couldn't get it done by itself. Not even Luke could really do it by himself in the end. He needed Biggs and Wedge to go along with him in the trench run. And I think that's compared to Vader, who, when the ties go out, you know they scramble some ties and they go out, and they're you know getting beat up back and forth. Um, Vader gets black two and three, and they go with him, and he says... Um, I'm on the leader. And I think that is kind of demonstrative of like, I've got this and you guys are here just you know to balance out the visuals, like to have somebody on each side. To, Black 2 and 3 don't even survive the fight, and Vader has no concern for them whatsoever. He is by himself, he is one man on his mission, and he can't get it, it done because he doesn't have the support of the team. And I think that it's so important to remember that and this is kind of where we talk about like the external application of that kind of a lesson. is like if you're trying to live life in isolation, it's not going to work. It takes a team to get through these kinds of things. Um, if you're a fan of the show The West Wing, which I know Mark is a pretty big fan of, like I'm a pretty big fan of, there's a great sequence in one of the seasons and the guy says, you know, our victories are sweetened because we did them together and our, our, our defeats are lessened because we did them together. And it's that togetherness that really makes a difference there, and so that's why I'm sticking with that. And because Y-wings are great, and because Y-wings are the best spaceship in the in the galaxy, and we should always make sure to include them in lists. So, boom.
0: Well, I think that's that's really one of the biggest lessons of Star Wars. I mean, if you look at working together and working as a team, I think that's huge. Even like, yeah, absolutely. At, for, in in every avenue, I'm thinking about animation right now, and with maul in both clone wars and rebels he works with other people but he works with them as tools he never works with them to support them and you look at people like rex and ahsoka and even anakin for most of it he works they work with other people and they're all better because of it so yeah i think that's i think that's a good one i approve absolutely yeah
1: Oh, glad you you're i i have your <laughs> approval now i can i can keep it up i can delete it off my list now yeah you can you can keep it there All <laughs> what's alive? your number three
0: my number three is from wait for it episode one the phantom menace uh your focus determines your reality qui-gon jinn i think this one this defines anakin's journey and i think that's important because he starts out being a good person who just purely wants to help others but slowly he starts being eroded and focusing on power and ability and eventually obsession with Padme and he focuses so much on that that he forgets everything he has and i like to think that when luke is being electrocuted by the emperor in uh in the second on the second death star that vader heard that line again in his head that Qui-Gon said your focus determines your reality and he realized where his focus should really be and it should be on the things that he has instead of the things that he doesn't have and he he paid the ultimate price to be able to to save those things he had and I just think it's I think it's one of the most powerful lessons um in all of Star Wars this one was more an out of universe one for me um I just I, I I think it's Powerful. I think it's something that we can apply to our lives because, I mean, if you focus on everything bad that you have going on in your life, like things are probably going to suck. But if you focus on what's good in your life, things tend to be a little bit better. You appreciate what you have a little bit more. And so this is one of those mantras uh, mm-hmm. for my life.
1: No, I, I agree with most of that.
0: <laughs> Except for the Phantom Menace.
1: We're going to talk about that in a little bit, don't worry.
0: Alright, alright, go for your number two.
1: Qui-Gon Jin, Qui-Gon Jin comes up a lot in my honorable mentions for, for, for a number of reasons, but that's okay. Um,
0: Qui-Gon, okay, no, I'm sorry, we're going there. Qui-Gon <laughs> is great. I don't care if you don't like, if you like nothing else about the prequels, Qui-Gon is fantastic.
1: I really like Liam Neeson. I think he does a great job bringing the character to life, and I think he's very exciting to watch. I think Qui-Gon Jinn, the character, is a train wreck of, of an individual what? within the universe. No, um, yeah. I, I the more I think about like what he actually contributes and the things that he does and the motivations that he uses, he puts the entire galaxy into this death spiral just because of who he wants to be. Um, but again, w- w- we'll come back to that. Okay. Okay. Um, let's say, po- let's say positive, focus on the positive because that focus will determine your reality. Um,
0: the reality is I'm going to convince you one day that phantom menace is great, but
1: you keep focusing on that. To- Let me know how it goes.
0: Today's probably not that day. So go ahead, go ahead with your number two
1: today for you tomorrow for me. Um, <laughs> my number two is from rogue one and it's the line Jin, my stardust. I can't imagine what you think of me. Um, this is something you you will probably learn later on in life if you uh, although you may have uh, come across this as, as, a, as a teacher of, of little kids, um, your parents are people too. So maybe you can cut them just a smidgen of slack. The Star Wars movies have a, a really complicated history with parents and siblings, and the the scene in Rogue one, is kind of that moment in Jin's life where she realizes that so much more was happening with her dad than she was able to understand. And when she's finally able to put those pieces together, it changes the way she can reinterpret her entire past, her entire history, everything she knows up until that point changes in the light of the message that he left for her. And as a parent, that's an incredible moment for me to watch because it, it, it not only validates kind of like when I have those same moments of realizing, oh, my parents are people too, and they have a day job, and they have lives, and they have wants, and they have fun things that they like to do, but I don't see them doing that. Why wh- Why do I see what I see? And it has to do with what they're doing for us as kids. And I do the same thing for my kids, you know, where there are things – I have to leave them every morning and go to work, and I come home, and I see them for – 30 to 45 minutes, and then I have to put them to bed. So for the entirety of 24 hours, I get to spend maybe 60 minutes with them. And that's very, very difficult through the week. And how is that going to impact them growing up? Is, are, am I spending enough time with them? Am I doing the right things as a parent? Am I able to take care of them the way that, number one, they need to be, but number two, the things that they actually want? Like I clearly don't get enough to spend enough time with them, but then when I spend time with them, Am I doing it the right way? Am I going in with the right attitude? And it's this moment of knowing that one day in the future, my kids will realize that I am a person too. with my own personality and my own day and my own likes and dislikes. And it will reinterpret their lives at that point. And that could either be a really positive thing or it could be a really scary thing. And I don't know if there's anything we can do to control that. I don't know if there's any way that, as parents, we can, we can prepare them for that, except just to be the best parents that we possibly can. And so in Rogue One, when we're watching Galen Ursa, who's the man responsible for designing the ultimate terror in the galaxy, and, and Jin sees him as this evil, evil person, and it's only at the end of things when she can realize that he built this to be destroyed... And he wants her to be the one to do it. And that's a powerful thing. This Parenting will screw you up. <laughs> um, you, know, you look at Luke and Leia and the difference that they had in, in being raised by different sets of parents. You look at Ben Solo. You look at Anakin because, well, he's all screwed up anyway. You know, Our parents are going to screw us up. But at a certain point, we as children get to either forgive them for that or I really don't know what the other option is
0: yeah i mean it's it's kind of that situation your parents get smarter as you get older kind of thing like you start i I do i think you start to realize (laughs) oh maybe maybe they had this right and maybe i wasn't giving them the credit for that they deserve like i think about my dad and i didn't always have the best relationship growing up and i was always very resentful about like the amount of time that he worked and stuff because i didn't Mm -hmm. put together that he was trying to support two families and stuff and then he took me to his restaurant one night like when they were having a staff meeting after work and all of his employees were there and it like filled the whole restaurant and he like did the meeting and then later he goes that's how many people i'm responsible for plus the two families like that's why i'm going to work every day and i was like wow crap like he's got a lot of lives you know going on and that was a huge lesson for me. And like, I, yeah. I take that same thing into the classroom. Like I screw up all the time and I'm totally honest in front of the kids. And so I think it, it gives them the freedom to go like, Oh yeah, I can mess up. Like, it's kind of weird. I, I feel like, and this is a whole nother tangent, but I feel like our culture is so focused on like winning and being the best that we forget that losing and falling down is a major part of that. Like I'm teaching summer school and I, and for third graders, and these third graders are already so conditioned, like, to try to read the teacher's face and try to get a reaction to see if they're right, and they're too worried about getting the wrong answer to even answer the question. And I've, like, I have like t- maybe twenty kids between my two classes over the summer, and at least five of them I've had to pull them aside and go, "Stop worrying about being right. I don't expect you to be right. Like, you're the wow. you're student. You know, like, and and they're they're seven eight it's years. It's okay old. to learn. And,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. And <laughs> And it's not, like, I'm at a fantastic school. It's just, it's just the kind of the culture, I think, that's, that's around them where you feel like you can't even make one mistake. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. You're eight years old. Like, if you don't make a mistake, I'm going to be yeah. worried about you. I'm like, the only, the only thing I'm worried about is you not having confidence in what you say. Like, I can't fix your guesses. Like, your guesses are just laziness. I can fix your wrong answers. That's why they pay me. And I think that kind of goes back to, like, Galen, like, you can fix my mistakes. Like, I raised you to do that, even in the little bit of time that I had with you. Like, I I I've trust in the teaching that I gave you. So, yeah, no, I I would not have gone there, but I think that's definitely a powerful lesson.
1: Yeah, I, this kind of – the mentorship aspect of things has always been pretty important to me. And if I could put a plug in there for, for you guys listening out there – because it's very easy to kind of to crap on people who are younger than you and to say, oh, they're they got it so easy, they don't understand. Get involved with the life of somebody a couple years behind you, and you will understand very quickly how difficult things can be for them and how how different you are from them, but also how very very similar. Um, if you ever thought it was hard to grow up the way you did, there's somebody out there in a similar situation but worse who needs your help. Um, There's no shortage of kids who need help, and those of us who have made it out of difficult situations have a responsibility to go back and pull other kids out of it and help them. And if you're saying, there's nothing I can do to help, there are two things you can do to help. You can number one, listen, because most kids feel like they have no one to talk to. So the first thing you can do is listen, and the second thing you can do is be an example Take them to do something fun. You don't have to give them a life lesson. Just go experience something with them. Do something fun together. Go to a baseball game. Go to a movie and talk about it. You know, Grab a burger and fries at McDonald's or something and just ask them about their life. They're looking for somebody other than their parents. They need an, an adult figure in their life other than their parents that they can see and compare and contrast and say. Because that will help them understand their parents better to say, oh, either all adults are like this or... No, not all adults are like this, and I wonder why. So it's it's very easy to get involved, and it's scary and amazing and rewarding and exhausting and frustrating and absolutely worth your time. So please, please, please get involved in the life of some kids. It's super-duper important, and I cannot stress that enough.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Make yeah. them watch
1: Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, Trying no out
0: kidding. Loud. Uh, one thing on top of that I would add is just, like, be honest with them. I think... People always wonder about like how I get my classroom culture the way it is, and I don't want it to sound like I'm tooting my own horn because I I'm not. I just I've always thought like why would I not be honest with these kids? Like they deserve it, like I'm spending a lot of time That's doing sweet. stuff for them. And I've never really had to think about my classroom culture. Like I've never thought like I wanna create this classroom culture. It just kind of happens because I tell my kids first day of school, <laughs> the only thing I'm gonna promise you Is that I'm gonna be 100% honest with you. And you're not going to always like it, but tough. That's how growing up works. And, but at the same time, Hmm. like, I'm the first one to get on them, but I'm also the first one to pull them in and hug them when they're having a hard day and tell them I love them. You know, like, and I had a group of of young ladies I had this year, and like, after they got their test score results and they had passed, and some of them had never passed before and stuff. And, they're like you know you told us you were going to be honest with us all year and you were and i hated you some days but i've never had a teacher like (laughs) you like you 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 helped me do things i never thought i could do kind of thing and selfishly that's that's Mm. worth it right there but just just for for them it's yeah i mean i i I couldn't say it better than you said it drew so i'm not going to try to but yeah go help some people be be a friend. Make them watch Please. Star Wars. All right. Um, sure. segueing to yep, my number two. Number two. Um, my number two is Ahsoka leaving the Jedi Order. This one, personally, out of universe for me, is <laughs> super impactful. Uh, this this moment is is why Ahsoka is my favorite character. Um, when I first watched Clone Wars, actually, when Clone Wars first came out, I was very against it. I was like. no, Star Wars is not animated. Star Wars is movies. Like, don't do Star Wars animation. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And then, like, five years later or whenever, like, all of Clone Wars was on Netflix, I started watching it and, like, obviously fell in love. You guys know animation is, like, my Star Wars now. And seeing Ahsoka walk away from everything she ever knew, I was at a very vulnerable spot where I was trying to figure my life out and like wasn't in the best of places but knew I like I, I needed something different and I knew I took that lesson that Luke took on or or learned on the second Death Star that you can create a third way Uh and I'm like I know I need to do something different like I need to be something different than I am and seeing Ahsoka walk away and risk everything not even risk it give up everything she ever had and everything she had ever learned yeah. because she knew it wasn't right and to not know where she was going next just was the most amazing thing to me and as much as i would have loved to see more ahsoka in the clone wars i love that we didn't get more of her in the clone wars because i feel like that says it doesn't really matter where you go after that it's not about the end that's the point it's about creating your own path and being your own person so personally that was super super impactful for me in universe i think this is a moment where you really start to get the jedi questioning themselves you have anakin he talks to her about understanding wanting to leave the order we've seen him talk about that in the anakin and obi-wan comic which if you haven't checked that out check it out it's well worth it now he doesn't handle it properly but personally i think again going back to that second death star moment which probably should have made my teaching moment since i've talked about it like four times but it's not on the list for some reason <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like realizing now that probably should have been on my list but anyways <laughs> i think this is another thing that anakin went back to when he sees luke creating that third way and it reminds him of ahsoka and his failure teaching her and also heeding the lesson that she taught him years ago that he could create his own path he doesn't have to be what other people want him to be and expect him to be um so i think it was important in that way and i also think it impacted yoda i think the fact that yoda goes on his force journey in uh the lost missions after ahsoka walks away i don't i don't think that's a coincidence i think the the jedi thought they were infallible and ahsoka got you know off trial and they handed her a padawan Bradens like hey welcome back and she didn't take it and i mean you got to think yoda's been around for a while he's never seen anything like that and so oh. maybe that shook him a little bit made him realize things were not so black and white like the jedi were thinking they are then on top of that he hears qui-gon and he he's just in a more vulnerable i guess position where maybe he's he's open to new things a little bit more, and I don't know if he would have been as open to Qui-Gon and hearing Qui-Gon's voice if Ahsoka hadn't walked away. Um, now, I, I could be totally wrong, but this is how I interpret it, the text. So I'm thinking Ahsoka walks away. He's like, maybe, maybe we're making some mistakes here. And then Qui-Gon starts to talk to him, mm. and he's thinking, maybe this is not how the force works and maybe i am not infallible and have things still to learn and i think that's a yoda that we get 20 years later on dagobah because we do get a very different yoda on dagobah than we get in the prequels and i think absolutely that that was kind of the start of it i don't think ahsoka is completely responsible for that but i think she was kind of the spark that allowed the flame to be to be lit so that's my that's my number
1: two. You're mixing source metaphors, Yeah, that's really. I'm, I'm I am surprised that it's your number two, and it makes me question what you have at your number one. Um, I wonder if we might overlap. Um, See, wh-
0: why don't you go ahead and pick um, number one, and I'll I'll let you know.
1: Yeah, uh, this is one of those. Uh, yeah, as you guys can clearly tell, these lessons come pretty personal, and this the, my number one is, is certainly no different because. All good movies are about identity. You know, all movies deal with that fundamental question of who am I and what am I doing? And these movies are no different. And in The Last Jedi, where Luke says, Where have you come from? And Ray says, Nowhere. And Luke utters the immortal line, No one's from nowhere. And you have to stop at that scene because the following line is really funny. But if you pause it on, No one's from nowhere and you see that look in his eyes, he, he knows the truth of you are not where you come from. And that is an important lesson that everybody has to learn, um, that you are not where you came from. You don't have to be who you were before. You have the freedom and the ability to change and do something different. Luke's entire journey is a story of a boy who comes from basically nowhere but gets to go everywhere. He does incredible things, visits amazing places, and, and meets incredible people because he, he stood up and, and started walking. Um, and I feel like that's an important thing that a lot of people may not always grasp at the right times in their life. We, we tend to get stuck a whole lot easier than we do uh, have the courage to move on. You know, I grew up in a state far away from where I live now. And um, as soon as I could get out of there, I did. I still cling to part of where I came from as part of my identity, but I don't want to let that define me because, you know, who I was when I grew up in New Jersey is not the same person I am today. There's been so much that's happened and I've been able to go and change so much of what was centered around self and centered around anger and centered around these, these terrible competing interests and whatnot in my life and change those things that the lesson of you're not where you come from is very sobering because it forces you to consider one, where did you come from Two, where are you now? And number and three, where do you want to go? And that moment when Luke looks at her and he has all the pity in the world and says, no one's from nowhere because it instantly puts more value on her than she has ever had known before. And and all in like a small look and a small line, he just completely changes everything in her life. And then she's like Jekyll, and he's like, Alright, that's pretty much nowhere. And it's funny and it's kind of true. And it's and it's kind of that human moment there. But that that lesson isn't lost. He says, No, you're still important. You can still be important. You don't have to be a nobody. You get to be a somebody, but only if you're willing to stand up and do it. If you're going to sit there and wallow in where you come from and who, you, you know, woe is me and the bad things have all happened to me and there's nothing I can do about it, mm, Luke's not going to do you any good. Well, Luke and... needs you to be, stand up and say, I don't want to be where I'm from anymore.
0: And like right after the uh, Jakku, yeah, that's pretty much nowhere. Isn't that when he says why are you here? <laughs> if I remember correctly. I, I may be messing up the order, but I think that line adds a lot too because the emphasis is on you. He's not asking like why did the resistance yeah. send you? He's not asking why did the Well, force he changes. He
1: says you? why are you here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he changes it cuz he starts off with why are you here. And that's why are you here. He's reiterating the question, but then he starts focusing on well, why are you here? Why are you the one who's here? He's suddenly interested in something deeper than just her actual mission. It's kind of the difference between a character's needs and a character's wants. You know, the character wants what it wants. You know, and in Ray's case, Ray wants. Um, uh, oh jeez! I just studied this whole thing, and there's like diagrams about Last Jedi and how each main character has wants and needs, and characters that represent those two different things. It's a very interesting YouTube video, I promise you. <laughs> That's but rare. What Ray ultimately wants? Oh yeah, is not what Ray ultimately needs. Um, Ray wants a place of belonging, but she needs, for the context of the story, she needs to take up a position of leadership. She doesn't need father figures. She doesn't need Luke and Han to be, for, to be her dads. She needs to be able to step up and lead other people in only the way that she can as being one of the last few people with a contact into the force like she does. So, and, and Luke is driving at that. He, he says, why are you here? And she gives him his mission, her mission statements. No, 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 no. What are you doing here? <laughs> and then he says, no, it's about you and why are you here? And he's trying to get her to recognize the different things, like what she actually wants, and then to realize what she wants is different from what she needs. And it's interesting, in The Last Jedi, how each character, Poe and Finn, that's the other two main characters, both have clearly defined wants and needs, and in characters that build those up, Finn is surrounded by Rose and DJ, who represent what they want and need. But opposite dj represents what he wants and rose represents what he needs poe has uh, uh holdo is a want and leia as a need it's this kind of this balancing of characters and, and and those are actual representations and 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 luke really digs into ray at that moment with no one's from nowhere he says no you are an important person now we have to figure out why
0: well and i just yeah, thought of this so good I just thought of this. There, I think there's a whole another level to it, also, because when Kylo is talking to her on, uh, I almost said Star Killer Base. Oh, well, on starship, ship, yeah, and he says, "You're you're no one, but not to me," and then she goes I and like reaches that for that. scene the, a lot. <laughs> it's so so good. But then she goes for Luke's lightsaber, like almost right after that, and she had to be thinking about what luke told her like you're no one's from nowhere and then kylo saying you're you're no one you don't have a place in this story but but not to me it's like okay luke has offered this place to it's belong. a twist on what exactly yeah. and she has a choice to reach for kylo to take his hand or to reach for the lightsaber and she reaches for the lightsaber she reaches for I mean, what we identify as the lineage of the skywalkers, the Luke and in his hero's journey, I think there I think there's a lot there. Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic.
1: And the reason that 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 is the that scene is so interesting and so good and it's so, so unbelievably well put together is because Luke is saying you are important because of where you are from. You have you know natural uh, intrinsic value and worth as a person. No matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, you are are still important. But what Kylo is saying is that you are not actually important. The only way you're important is by your relationship and connection to me. That's what's very important about his line. He says you're nobody, you're nothing, but not to me. Her value that he can see is only defined by what he imputes upon her. There's nothing actually intrinsic about her that creates value that attracts him to her. It's very interesting to me. It's almost like, it's it's almost like an abusive relationship that says you're nothing. You have nowhere to go. I'm the only way you get anywhere. I'm the one who gives you life. I am what sustains you. If you'll take my hand, and it's like, <gasps> and wow, this is a really interesting moment, and she's got to make that decision and that call in a, in a heartbeat, and she does, and ah. Uh, it's so good. It's such a good part of the film. <laughs> well and
0: and Love then it. also to go to Kylo's side of things, like the way he says please, like you can tell he's trying to validate his sense of belonging and power and that he made the right choice in yes, Snoke. Exactly. It, it's yeah, no, there's so many layers to it. And
1: Well, because he's doing he's doing to her what Snoke did to him. Snoke is yeah. it was inputting into his mind, you're nothing. You're terrible you are a horrible student Luke doesn't like you he's going to come after you one of these days anyway and he's planting all those seeds in his mind and and Snoke is saying the only way you will make it out of this alive is with my help and I am the only one who can get you out of this nightmare scenario you have found yourself in he wasn't actually in a nightmare scenario but the when 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 Ben is allowing that voice to speak into his life and, and he believes the lies that it is telling him, it becomes his reality. You know, It's kind of a like self-fulfilling prophecy. He, he allows those things to become true in his life and then he turns around and tries to use them on her. And when she's able to rebuff that and, and to reject it and to ultimately triumph over that, that is what flips him out. And now suddenly... His conceptions of how the world works and, and his role in it have been broken and, and he reacts in the only way he knows how. Train every gun and fire on that man down there. I mean, it's that unrelenting rage that he he taps into because that's the easiest thing human beings have to tap into when they're faced with these terrible, terrible situations where they're you know this crisis of confidence and they've got nothing to cling to. Anger is always the first and easiest reaction. It fills that ego bar right back up to full. Is the dark mm. side strong? We getting real in here.
0: Nope, it's easier. Yeah, uh, no it's I,
1: quicker, easier.
0: Quicker, easier. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's really cool. More I,
1: seductive, I, uh, definitely.
0: I think what the sequels are doing better than than anything else uh, is they're getting back to that root search of identity because you have Ray who mm-hmm. literally has nothing she has nothing and she she has a helmet yeah and she (laughs) values what she has she values the relationship she Mm -hmm. values every little scrap that she gets and then you have ben who has everything he's he's not the son of one rebellion Mm -hmm. hero he's not the son of one galactic hero but two oh yeah and his uncle is the last of the jedi Mm -hmm. the greatest jedi master like he has everything he could he's he he wanted for nothing in his childhood but yet wanted everything and ray had nothing but wanted nothing and i i just think the dichotomy between Mm -hmm. those two characters is fascinating and kylo and ray they're just they're, they're endlessly fascinating to me i think I think the way that they have built those yeah,
1: characters. Is of the
0: yeah, so. Yep. Sticking with the Last Jedi for my number.
1: All one, right, we. Got to hit number one.
0: My number one is Luke's first lesson in the Last Jedi, the one with Rey on the rock.
1: I wonder. Okay.
0: Yeah, I. I mean. Go ahead. Dive into the, it. <laughs> this is the lesson that Star Wars has needed for a long, long time. Uh, I think both the fandom and the actual galaxy that the Force is not defined by Jedi and Sith, or even really light and dark, that it's bigger than that. It doesn't belong to anybody. And I think this shows that Luke has learned from the failures of the Jedi in the prequels. Even though he failed himself, Mm -hmm. he has moved the Jedi farther along the path. But if you think about Yoda's first lesson to Luke was when Yoda was acting all crazy and seeing if Luke would accept somebody who seemed useless as someone of value. And we see that Luke learned that lesson with the Ewoks when he doesn't have Han just go and start blasting them. And he values that they are sentient beings and deserve life just as much as anybody else. And that eventually leads to the Ewoks helping defeat the empire. And so the first lesson that characters learn from their mentors i think are immensely important and the first lesson that ray learns from luke is that the force is not something that you own and Mm. going forward we know she has the original jedi text we know she has this lesson which is really the only good lesson she got from luke and we'll touch on that in a minute uh is I think it's really powerful. I think it's going to be a, a groundwork for where things go forward. And I really hope that J.J. taps into this more as uh, as the episode 9 comes out and the, and the sequel trilogies and whatever comes after happens. But, like, even – I mean, I know I – I don't want to get too religious, but I know you and I are both Christians. And as I've gotten older, I've I've kind of started to see things more – like the force in a way, where it, it's bigger and more undefinable than words can even imagine. And so I've kind of like, over the last couple years, really started digging into the force mythology and asked like what I can learn from it for my personal faith. And I think this was a big one for me because it's like, you you pray, that's important. Like you read scripture, that's important. But at the end of the day, like, God's not there to just do whatever you need him to do for you. He's not there to lift rocks out of your way. And <laughs> you're a part of him. And and that's an important lesson, just like Luke is teaching Rey that she's a part of the Force. And I think also she learns a valuable lesson by going towards the dark side hole in that moment. Um, and I, I think she sees something about herself there that she... I feel like she was in control in that situation. I don't feel like she was ever out of control of the, of that situation. Um and that Luke kind of shook things um and kind of took her out of that moment because he was afraid of what might happen instead of being open to the possibilities and the, I kind of hope they they tap into that a little bit more in episode 9. And no, I don't mean gray jedi cuz gray jedi are not a thing. But but I do think that there needs to be an expanding of how we talk about the force because I don't think it is light and dark and there's a line down the middle and there you go that's how things work. I think it's a lot muddier than that. And yeah, I want them to yeah. dig into that more. So
1: time will tell. We'll see what happens we'll when see, we get they around to just, episode nine.
0: They could just leave it alone and let it be what it is. We'll see.
1: Yeah. That's kind of my fear. <laughs> I, I,
0: mine too, but I'm hoping for the best.
1: Yeah. Phew. Right, was that was heavier than I thought it was going to be.
0: That was that was really deep stuff. Oof. All right, so if you're still with us, now we get to the fun part, the bottom three, where we get to tear oh, apart gosh. things. Oh, <laughs> gosh. You, you want to you go first, or you want me to do mine first?
1: Uh, why don't you go first?
0: All right, so in keeping with the Last Jedi theme, Luke's second lesson is my number three. And let me be clear about something. Luke (laughs) Skywalker does not teach three lessons explicitly in The Last Jedi. And no, I don't mean, oh, there's a deleted scene. Or, oh, it's in the novel. No. Because in the novel, it does not say third lesson. In the deleted scene, it does not say third lesson. And if you watch the commentary... What everybody is calling the third lesson, where Ray runs off to the caretaker party and Luke beats her there and he's like, it's This is funny. the lesson. That's what he says. That is the lesson. He goes from lesson two, she doesn't get it, she runs down there, makes a mistake, and he says, That is the lesson. Yeah. It's lesson it's it's the conclusion of lesson two. So Are there people
1: who don't believe that or that would think differently?
0: Well, when the deleted scenes came out, everybody goes, Luke's third lesson, it's a deleted scene. No, it's not. No. Oh,
1: he, I always he's... thought that was, we yeah. want there to be the third a third lesson in the deleted scenes. Kind of yeah. like, I thought it was just false hope, kind of, oh, we're I... going to get finally what we want. It's like, no, yeah. shut up. Just wait till it. The...
0: No, they, they, people were saying that was the third lesson. I think oh, if sorry. we get the no, third sorry. lesson, They're wrong. <laughs> if we get the third lesson at all, it's, whatever we're supposed to learn from Crate, which I'm still kind of trying to digest. There's a few things there. I think maybe that could be the the third lesson if they don't ever bring the third lesson back, but they could bring the third lesson back in episode nine. But I just wanted to say that so that it was clear that, like, I'm talking about the whole of Luke's second lesson. He was wrong. A thousand generations of Jedi were not a failure. Like, the last 10% The last 5-10%, yeah, they kind of messed things up. But (laughs) not a thousand generations of Jedi. They had kept things safe for for a pretty good time. And also, Luke seems to have forgotten the true lesson he learned in the throne room. People's lives are are, are choices, and you can't make them for them. So while, yes, Obi-Wan trained Anakin, he's not responsible for Darth Vader. He's right about, like, the Jedi and letting Sidious rise, but I think that's more credit due to Sidious than it is due to the Jedi. But also, just this whole lesson is just so devoid of hope. Like, that's what Ray Ray points out to him. Like, the galaxy needs a legend, and they need hope. And the situation with Ben stole that hope from Luke because he was trying to live up to this mantle that... He never really wanted or never really understood. He didn't go out trying to be a Jedi, a a Jedi master and a legend. He went out to be a Jedi, but he went out to be a Jedi because he wanted to be like his father. He was looking for a connection with his father. Mm. And he goes to the second Death Star, not to save the galaxy. That's that's Leia and Han's situation. He goes to the second Death Star expecting, I'm probably going to fail and I'm going to die. He says to the Emperor, You'll be dead, I'll be dead soon, and you with me. he expects yeah. to die and the on the second death star, he wins a personal victory. he says I am a Jedi, like my father before me i my. It's all about the relationship with his father. It's not about bringing the Jedi back and I think that's kind of gotten lost in the name return of the Jedi, but what we get with Luke and the last jedi is is not the Luke of the second Death Star being a failure, but Luke the Legend being a failure. And I think when he's saying the Jedi failed and stuff like that, it's it's more important than just the execution. It's the idea of Luke Skywalker, the idea of the Jedi, the hope that it brings. That is really what's important. And, and he lost that until, I think, on Crate later when he realizes that, Maybe what the galaxy needs is a little bit of hope. And I don't think it's any coincidence that he walks in right when Leia, who is our character always depending on hope, says the, the fire's out. Hope has left the galaxy. And dun-da-da, here comes Luke Skywalker in, you know, play the Superman music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think he <laughs> learned a valuable lesson there from, from Rey in kind of failing as a teacher himself. Hmm. I stumped Drew.
1: Interesting. Well, uh, I don't have real good clarity on the dialogue in that sequence of lesson two, so I'm I'm trying to remember it's a- uh, exactly how it goes, and it's not going super great in my brain. It's also super late.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's really late for you. Um, because he. Ugh, this is tough because he he basically charges the Jedi Order with doesn't he say something like the legacy of the Jedi Order is hubris and failure? Yeah, something along those lines. Something along that. I think I, I mean I, I think he's more right than you're gonna, you're giving him credit because we as the audience are meant to understand that the Jedi Order we encounter in the Phantom Menace is how it has been for a thousand generations. I think the idea is that. The order is the way it is, and this is the way it has been. And it, it has allowed the corruption and undergrowth of evil to fester and divide and grow without there being any attention paid to it. And that's, that's something I think that – I think Luke's point is that went on the entire time. I... And that's why – I, I don't know. It's tough because – we don't know. We, we we know what we know what Luke is referencing, but we don't know how much else he is taking into account. That's we true. don't know the difference between what we know outside of the films versus what he knows inside and what he learned in his thirty year journey. Like, and that's kind of, and that might go towards the quality of the of lesson two. Is is because we don't know those things, it challenges the validity of that lesson. So. I think putting it on your list is fair and valid and appropriate because we don't have enough information to make it a good lesson. And with those gaping holes in it, the possibility for it to be completely off base is pretty high. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, I'll allow it. I'll and allow it. and I
0: think it more so, even like more even if the, the failure of the Jedi part is true, the idea that ho- hope is not a thing anymore... That hope is not something we can depend on and and just that this whole lesson is so devoid of hope is i think where the biggest failure is i think my problem with the his what he says about the jedi yeah i can see your point there it's more that's more me personally i'm like come on i doubt a thousand generations of jedi were a failure but even if they were it comes back to the core of where i think the lesson is failing is that he forgot yeah. the lessons that he learned, and forgot the power of hope. So,
1: yeah, yeah, uh, the, the, that scene deserves more study, and and I'd like to, uh, I, and I also want to relook at um, Ray's response to so, so. But yeah, that's definitely worthy of consideration. Mine is not nearly as uh, high minded and interesting as yours. Um, <laughs> My number three is we're gonna we're gonna take a trip back in time to Attack of the Clones, um, and I promise not to stay here too long because it's painful every moment. Um, and we're gonna focus on Obi Wan so Kenobi, much. and I'm really sorry for you. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you were <laughs> oh man, too much in here. You got brain damage, but now when Obi Wan says, "This weapon is your life," and no! um, first off, it's a really, it's a really funny, funny sequence. Um, and here's why this bothers me. It bothers me for, for two reasons. Um, the, the next line he says, why do I have a feeling you'll be the death of me someday, is That's, really, really sad. It's so terrible. <laughs> um, it's like a little bit heartbreaking. Yeah. But, but what, what bothers me most about this, and this is pretty mundane, so, so I'm not going to get too deep and spiritual like we have in the past year. Um, that, that lesson of this weapon is your life never pays off. And here's why not only does he lose it in the opening chase sequence and Obi-Wan yanks it out of the air and hands it back to him consequence free, but he loses his lightsaber again at the end of the movie. And we're supposed to remember this weapon is your life and there's supposed to be great consequence of that. But what happens in like five minutes, some Jedi flip him a completely new lightsaber again, a complete lack of consequence, a complete discontinuity. Like, you know, in the last Jedi, there's a, there's a precedent set up of of expectation and then defying expectation. That is not what we have in Attack of the Clones. It is not nearly as sophisticated storytelling as Ryan Johnson puts together. And this moment is kind of the crystallization of that. It, Obi-Wan in this movie is so, so uninteresting because of the lack of importance that he's able to put on his lessons. This weapon isn't his life, and the way you know that is because he doesn't die. <laughs> he, he's fine without it. He's able to get through things, and he doesn't even use it all that interestingly when he has it. So I, I do not buy that moment at all. I think it could have been used in a really interesting way to demonstrate something, and it could have and it really should go to demonstrate Obi-Wan's reliance on violence, but it's violence that saves the day. So in the end, his, he's allegedly proven right, and that's just lousy to me. I, the movie's so full of problems that uh, it's
0: aggressive, uh, uh, not violence.
1: No <laughs> <laughs> All right, OK. If you want to talk about, hold me like you did on the lake of and the boo. We're gonna have other problems because, oh man, attack I, of the clones. I know the what have you done? Terrible!
0: It's so cheesy, and I adore it. Anyways, um, so my number two. Words. You're not, you, you're not gonna see this one coming.
1: Uh, three, is three. is your life. Oh my no, you're Kenobi on number two.
0: Kenobi, that's my number two. What? Yes, <laughs> that's my number. Is two. it really? Yes, it really is. Um, I,
1: don't you go defend this movie?
0: (laughs) No, 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 no. I think this is a major failure. You looked at it in terms of a storytelling standpoint. I looked at it more in terms of what it tells us about the Jedi, a Jedi having their entire existence circle around a weapon is ridiculous. The Jedi's existence should be the force (laughs) period. End of story. And it's this idea, like, I look at Obi-Wan as, like, the proto-Jedi. Like, if you want to look at what a Jedi should be, like, look at Obi-Wan Kenobi. Don't look at Yoda, don't look at Mace. Definitely don't look at Mace Windu. Uh, look at Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> and he's literally saying, like, your weapon is your life. Like, violence is your life as a Jedi. That is asinine and ridiculous, and it's a major factor in what leads to them becoming generals in the war and their downfall, and like Luke says, the hubris yeah, of the but Jedi. But it's
1: rewarded within the context of the film. It I, is rewarded. At I the know. end of the movie, you can only conclude that they were right. But How can I, you defend this movie, then?
0: But there's a there's a level of hypocrisy there. I think that's a, that's no, a major that's problem not,
1: there. Sigh. If it was hypocrisy, it would have been successful. The movie wants you to agree with them. I,
0: I don't know about that. I think, it's I, think I, it's...
1: I completely do. I
0: think it's showing us how... I think Attack of the Clones is an exposition on how messed up the Jedi are. I really do. You see how, like, in the ten years, how badly they have failed Anakin. How the little boy who was so hopeful and just wanted to help people is now cynical and aggressive and hateful. And the idea that their weapon has become the center focus and the lightsaber is what a Jedi should care about most is ridiculous. And then you go to the end and yeah, he loses his lightsaber and he goes, Oh, Obi-Wan's going to kill me. And there's literally no consequence what are you teaching Anakin like I can do whatever yes. I want and there's going to be no consequences yes I think that's part of I think that's part of where the Jedi go wrong because then you go look at Clone Wars and he literally does whatever the hell he wants to do and most of the time ends up on the plus side of things <laughs> I think it's a major problem I'm not I think we're saying the same thing we're just saying it in different ways I think that it shows how truly messed up the Jedi were Like, they were so far gone that their entire focus on the Force had just... They had been so blocked by the dark side, so clouded by the dark side, that they kind of were like, well, I guess if we're not going to be able to, you know, work with the light side of the Force, we'll just, you know, work with the lightsaber. And we'll just look more powerful than other people and hope that works. And that's literally the dark side. And you haven't gotten to this point in Rebels, but... Well, have you gotten to this point? Have you gotten to where Ezra meets Yoda for the first time?
1: No. Okay. It, it's better than sounds. I absolutely. have not.
0: It, it's it's well done. But
1: it didn't he, sound that good. <laughs>
0: no, 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 no. It's handled. It's handled tastefully. Um, especially when you look at the whole of Rebels and what you learn later on, um, in season four. But he touches
1: on that. Wait a minute. A bit. Wait a minute. Is it... when... I think I, I did see that because is, doesn't that occur in the temple that yes. they find on Lothal?
0: Yeah, and he's out and it looks like he's in space. Okay, I he did see that. Yeah, he. I mean, Yoda yes, talks I about did that. See, I, I
1: did. That was fine. That was okay.
0: Yeah, y- Yoda talks about how.
1: Well, I don't I... remember. that short. Sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, surprise. I remember something that happened in Rebels. And Yoda talks about how. <laughs> the jedi had become so clouded by the dark side that they depended on violence and becoming generals in the war instead of focusing on restoring their relationship with the force and i think that this is the moment where if we're going to pin it on one moment where we can see where everything has gone wrong it's this whole idea okay all right
1: whatever hate that movie i know you do so dumb i love okay it. my number two <sighs> whatever let it go let it go turn around and slam the door okay number two <laughs> i'm gonna ten. go Count with to um we're gonna go a little bit further further back in time we're gonna go oh, i get angry just thinking about this stupid scene <laughs> um i'm gonna go And I, I was wondering what's a chlorine, sir um I'm going to go with the whole Qui-Gon Jinn explaining midichlorians to Anakin. It's bad. It's dumb. It doesn't work. It's lousy exposition. It raises so much more questions than it does actually answer anything. It doesn't make sense. It even ends the scene with Anakin going, I don't understand. And the entire audience goes, yeah, me neither. Um, It's never addressed again. It's completely relegated outside of the, the the entire story. It's not important. It's a waste of time. It's a complete, complete disaster from start to finish. <laughs> um, it's bad. It's bad. It's really, really bad. And I don't like it at all. We should never have had midichlorians be a thing. I, I defy you to defend this now.
0: I, I'm not going to completely disagree with you. I think the attempt was to show... <laughs> no hold on i think the attempt was to show that the jedi had started to focus more on science and hard facts than on trusting their faith in the force i think the fact that it just got left at that one line of exposition and you literally you don't explore it again in clone wars or rebels or any books or anything is where we hit a lot of trouble with this i feel like George had this idea and was like, "Oh yeah, well, this is how we'll show you know the Jedi are lost." But then the outcry happened, and he was like, "Maybe I won't bring this up again, and we'll just you know kind of." It's kind of like Yoda's line in Revenge of the Sith: mm-hmm. "The prophecy misread could have been." It's like maybe I didn't make a good choice there with the prophecy, so I'm just gonna brush that away with this one line here. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of it. I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of it.
1: I, I, I have. Think was... I think. It had served one purpose. It was in there so that they could understand that Anakin had this massive connection to the Force without being able to ex- really explain and understand why. It's all there so that Obi-Wan can say, it's over 9,000. That's not it. It's over 20,000 or whatever. Just so that they could clearly identify for the audience, this is an important kid. And I was like, this is the most clunky way of you, yeah, possibly you do doing it. Like You literally have a power reader. No, he just Oh, guys. So, I was going to re- No one take this.
0: Did you did you hear about the "quote unquote" idea that George Lucas had for the sequel trilogy that came out
1: recently? Oh no. Oh, oh man. Oh, oh, my heart hurts. Oh, so I'm to assume okay, so, Be- oh,
0: so if you haven't heard, oh, he said he was going to
1: go oh, microscopic. Please don't don't do it yeah.
0: and okay first of all let me say
1: it's so bad
0: let me say i think george is trolling us just hardcore i think i think he's just like i'm just gonna yeah, i'm just gonna mess with yep. star wars fans Yeah, you know, i'm just gonna have a good time i have my four oh, billion I, dollars I...
1: You're gonna shrink down, and the, the whole movie's gonna take place inside their blood cells, and they're gonna to have to actually fight the midi chlorians. No, he <laughs> believes these things. Okay? I don't. I don't believe that. He's genuine. No, I, he complete. Look at his storytelling style. Everything is right there on the surface. What you see is exactly what you get. Okay, he's not a big fan of dialogue. He's not a big fan of you know interpersonal relationships. It's everything about it. it's like what you see. Is exactly what you get. And so when he tells you, I'm going to make Osmosis Jones with Star Wars, like, like <laughs> that's exactly what he would have wanted. It's not good. It's bad. It's really not okay. And we should all thank our lucky stars that Disney actually bought Lucasfilm and took t- 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 the creative helm away from this man. I mean, F- A New Hope, great. Uh, it was great. It was awesome. It was fantastic. Um, I was really glad they got additional people in there to help him make Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. oh why would you bring it, that up? Why would you bring that?
0: It was. You opened the door. You know I'm gonna go walk through it. I mean, come on. Do you uh, know me? I.
1: <laughs> I thought I knew you, man.
0: <laughs> no. Let me let me be clear. I think this is a terrible idea. I love the idea of bringing the wills into it. I hate the idea of bringing the wills to it in this fashion. Uh yeah, I think that's that's an idea even I can't come up with a reason to defend and I, and I like knew we were recording this week, so I even tried, and even now I was like, no i I can't do it I can't,
1: I can't <laughs> well, so, i I'm, I'm glad we're past that now. Can we get to your number one? <laughs> yes,
0: so you're gonna be shocked because I actually have two from the prequels that are on my bottom three um so i kind of fudged this one a little bit because i think these two moments kind of go together um obi-wan in attack of the clone saying dreams pass in time and yoda in revenge of the sith saying you must let go of everything you fear to lose i think these are major major failures by both of these mentors Obi-Wan basically says, Oh, you're worried about your mom? Like, who the one person who's ever truly shown you love in the whole galaxy? Yeah, don't worry about it. It's just a dream. It'll go away. <laughs>
1: yeah, like, that'll pass. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, yeah,
0: she'll, that's basically like, Oh, yeah, you know, she'll, she'll die. It'll be fine. He won't, after she dies, she'll be one with the force. You won't even have to worry about it. And then <laughs> Yoda, and I, this, oh, as a teacher myself, this bugs the crap out of me. Just when he, when Anakin goes to him, Anakin is clearly like pleading, like, help me, I'm trying to figure out what I should do here. And Yoda basically says, eh, figure it out. Like, what? Yeah. He doesn't give him any support in that. He doesn't say, like, here's some stuff you should read on how to let go of everything you fear to lose. Here is how I have trained to do it. He just says, yeah, go ahead and do it. And then the scene changes, which tells us very clearly he doesn't go any deeper than that.
1: And, mm-hmm.
0: like, when I'm reading the books to my kids, I point this moment out every time. I'm like, I want you to realize, like, how messed up this is. This would be, like, me basically giving you the end-of-the-year test and saying, on like, end-of-the-year test on the first day and saying, yeah, good luck with that, and leaving the room and getting a cup of coffee. It is ridiculous. It is terrible, and it is an exposition on how the Jedi failed Anakin.
1: See, it's interesting to me that you feel that strongly about that sequence, but not nearly as strong in, as, this, as the similar sequence in Attack of the Clones. Because I think a lot of what you were saying about Attack of the Clones, where it's supposed to demonstrate the, the failure of the Jedi Order at the time, is exactly what, Return, is what Revenge of the Sith is supposed to be doing and does. And that's one of the key scenes in that. Like So I understand what is – you're right that it's the most terrible thing you could possibly do to someone who is asking you for, for a critical spiritual help. Um, and, but I, I do see that in service of the story and say, ah, yes, that's because the Jedi Order is corrupt and is failing and is falling apart and scene. So I like that in the context of the story, but I'm with you on that as being an absolute garbage thing to teach somebody. <laughs>
0: it's so bad. So bad. All
1: right. it's so bad it's so bad and so, all right let's so bring it home um uh, as much as uh, we we harped on how much we love the last Jedi I'm going there for my number one um, Interesting. because uh, and now now hear me out I'm gonna go with Rose as the biggest problem in this film because of one line of dialogue that she has. She says, there is only w- one way to get this rich. War. And that's a lie. That is garbage. That is false. That is not true. And she's shown that later on, which I'm very glad. Well, I guess they're not really shown. They're shown something else that i, I like to talk to about as a tangent in a little bit. But she jumps to a conclusion so wildly disconnected from the facts that it actually puts their lives in danger, like if those were war and war profiteers, they should have acted completely different than the way that Rosenfinn actually behaved. But I kind of was really curious about this. Like, who are the most rich people in our world? So if you Google like top most rich people on the planet, there's some you know uh, very interesting. You know, not a terribly interesting list, but there's really easy information to get access to. And none of the top ten entities um, are directly associated with war. You know, we have guys like Jeff Bezos, the guy who's Amazon. So you're talking about retail and telecommunications. You've got Bill Gates, who is Microsoft Windows Computer Technologies. You got Mark Zuckerberg, who could actually be considered a war profiteer, I suppose. You've got the Koch brothers, who are actual war profiteers, I suppose. But the guys that she portrays the canto by citizens to be is not backed up by anything else available to us in the film. We are meant to buy into that line because of who she is like, and her, her past understanding, but there is no good connection in the film to that line. There's no information before or after that clearly says these guys are war profiteers. Now, here's what you're thinking. When they steal the ship and they dig into it, they find the ship readouts for the TIE fighters and the X-wings. Now, that's the way the film tries to connect it, but Rose doesn't have that information at the time. There is no way and no logic for her to make the statement that she does. And here's why I think this is a pretty bad lesson. Jumping to conclusions is one of the most dangerous things you can do with your brain. She instantly regards the entire population of that city as one particular thing that she hates, and that is not fair. I don't care how bad those people actually are. I don't care how rich those people actually are. They didn't get the chance to actually be considered fairly. Now, they again – when they, you consider those people fairly, they may still fall short of being good and decent citizens of the galaxy. And indeed, some of them are proven to be that way, and that's fine. But that's only after the evidence is allowed to percolate and actual conclusions are drawn based on real information and logic. The way she goes into that situation is completely inappropriate and is not fair to Finn because Finn sees it completely differently. Now, the two of them have this the dynamic we talked about, needs and wants earlier, and that's what those two guys are supposed to fight it out and figure it out. Um, I really don't like the way Rose ends the movie either, with her statement of, of we're gonna, you're not supposed to fight things you hate, you're supposed to love, or save the things you love. Well, then, what logic does she have by taking a five-minute stampede through the town on the horse thingies if it's not revenge if she is not fighting against the things that she hates she sees these people who have a lot who are the one percent for lack of a better determination she sees these people she automatically assumes they're just as guilty as the people who did terrible things to her and she takes her revenge out on them without any information or evidence or logic to back up that connection that is a faulty judgment and is incredibly dangerous I don't, I,
0: I don't disagree with you on that. Makes me mad. I don't
1: disagree with you on it. It makes me so
0: angry. I'm going to I'm going to play devil's advocate here cuz I don't know how much I believe what I'm about to say, but I was trying to think of like a counter argument to that. To, so she she generalizes these people. She stereotypes these people as warmongers and evil. And then she goes and stampedes through and and Finn says, you know, it felt good to hit that town or whatever he says you know to make him hurt and she takes the saddle off the father says oh you know now it was worth it but then she gets on the ship with dj and he ends up betraying them and she could be thinking like i i i was fighting this thing i hate these people you know i hit canto by like i tried to make an impact on the galaxy by getting rid of people by basically fighting fire with fire and it didn't work and so when finn basically tries to do the same thing like oh they're gonna come at me with a big weapon like i'm gonna take the biggest weapon i have and just ram it into theirs and kill myself for it she she maybe sees the fault in that logic and that that moment where she says we're gonna win by saving what we love not fighting what we uh, fighting what we hate I think we we've kind of interpreted that as a belief that she had the whole time where maybe it's a belief she just figured out in that moment and maybe her failure because last jedi is all about failure and how you react to failure and maybe her failure is in that stereotyping of the people of canto bite particularly but just the the generalization of these are people who have wronged me, and therefore anyone around them must be an equal part of evil, kind of thing.
1: I I would buy that argument if there was demonstration of remorse for her actions within the context of the film. There's no evidence that I can think of, and I'm willing to reconsider if if there's if you can think of anything, or if somebody points out some different evidence. If there's evidence that shows she recognized the error that she made, that would be one thing. But I don't think that exists. And the reason I don't think that exists is because of the way she talks to Finn is she's she's teaching him. She's teaching down to him. She said, no, you dummy. That's not the way we're doing this. She's The way in which she delivers the message is with the same confidence and with the same kind of certainty of character that she had from the very beginning. I mean, if you remember during the beginning of the horse uh, stampede thing Finn says stop enjoying this stop enjoying this so clearly it's 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 fulfilling within her that need to strike back so it's demonstrating the very thing that that Finn was going to be doing but Finn is denied that by her and there's no clear exam- evidence again that I can think of at the moment again willing to reconsider based upon additional <sighs> review of the text but there's no connection between she does a thing, she learns it's wrong, she sees somebody else do it, and she corrects them. That logic train doesn't exist because step two doesn't exist in there.
0: I think that's fair. I think we're supposed. I I, I think that the moment with Paige, the ending answer- of the movie, is supposed to connect to that because before she sacrifices herself, she touches the necklace, you know, uh, that her and Rose have, and I think that's kind of supposed to connect to the end of the story um because page is she's not doing it to destroy the first order she's doing it to protect rose and the people she cares about but i do think that you have to make a lot of jumps in order to get there
1: yeah then that's just too much i think all the ancillary characters you know the people who are not ray finn and poe are pretty concrete in their roles and their positions um Rose is primarily meant to show Finn his need to to uh, commit as a rebel. Like he needs to be by the end of this film, he needs to be committed to the rebellion. That's what the film needs him to do. DJ is there to show him um the alternative. The alternative is to not commit to anything and to, you know, live um only for your own self and to take care of your own self because that's the only person you can truly rely on. That's what Finn wants to do. And that's demonstrated at the beginning when he says, I have to get this beacon as far away from here as possible to save my friend. He wants to save his friend. That's his want. That's his, his, his goal and directive. And it's different again from his need of no, you need to join the rebellion and fight for somebody else. You need to fight this particular way. And, and Rose is supposed to demonstrate that for him. So, She she is not expected to change within the context of the film because DJ doesn't change, um, just like Kylo doesn't really change his position, Luke doesn't change his position, Holdo doesn't change her position, nor does Leia change her position. Those six characters are built to provide balance uh, and options to the equations that our three main characters have. So those guys on the outside are not expected to change within the context of the film. Luke is the exception. I think, and I think Luke is the exception because his, <laughs> his title is right there in the name of the movie. He's as super-duper important as he can possibly get, and it's Luke. Yeah. So if, if there's evidence to demonstrate the fact that Rose recognizes the fact that she's a terrible person, that would be fine, and I could see that, but Whoa. I haven't yet.
0: Hating on Rose.
1: I, I, that scene, that 15 minutes in Cantobite is very problematic to me. I, I really do not care. I, I have no problem with uh, like her crazy expedition. Uh, the whole plan of like shutting down the Star Destroyer's tractor, tracker thingy is fine. It's bonkers, but it's fine. I can I can live with that within the universe because it's Star Wars and that kind of stuff is fine. But the Cantobite diversion it, it really really. Hampers the film. And I, I think because of this, because Rose's character is betrayed by her dialogue and actions, she's supposed to exemplify for Finn the importance and the need to fight back. You are supposed to fight back on the things that you hate. You are also supposed to save the things that you love. The problem is we have misunderstood the things we hate and the things we love. It's the hate and love part. We all screw up. You are indeed supposed to fight the things you hate and save the things you love. But what do you hate? And what do you love? That's the problem, is those things need to be redefined. Finn hates being under threat of the First Order, and he loves security. And at the end of the film, he's supposed to hate the wrong and love the good. He's reorienting reorienting the back half of those statements, whereas... Rose's character, for some reason, is trying to get him to reorient the first half of those statements. And it just uh, – the character bothers me so bad. it says nothing against Kelly Marie Tran. I'm not the one kicking her off of Instagram or making her life a living nightmare. My problem is the character inside the film. Mm. Number one, most bothersome lesson. Don't jump to conclusions. It's bad. Just don't yeah. do it.
0: Uh, I, I- – I like Rose. I enjoy her, but I really do hope we get more to her You're wrong. in episode nine. You're wrong. <laughs> well, what else is new? This whole podcast is just—we should just rename it to "Brandon Is Wrong: A Clashing Sabers Podcast." It's.
1: it's <laughs> do we know for a fact that um, uh, that her character is indeed back in episode nine? Like, I, I can't—I uh, don't know that for sure. In my brain, is that something you no? Know?
0: I want to say it was confirmed that she's back for episode nine. Now, when she, okay. like, kisses uh, Finn and then passes out, when I first saw that, I was like, they just they just killed her just like that? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So I was pretty relieved when Finn was pulling her into uh, the, the base there and saying she needed a med pack. I, sh- she's on the Falcon at the end. He puts a blanket over her like she's supposed to be True. safe. So I think all signs point to... <laughs> I think all signs point to love triangle for Finn um, which kind of worries me and I hope we don't get that but we'll see. yeah I don't I don't want the love triangle thing. I just don't. Did you have
1: any uh, any other honor- honorable mentions things that you that almost made the list?
0: Um, well, apparently the second death star should have made my list. But other than that <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think no, I think I covered it pretty well. you know when I first started making this list, I was like I just completely blanked on things and couldn't think of what I wanted because I wanted to make sure I had impactful things on here and once I got the first one, the your focus determines your reality I just I was able to get them all pretty quickly uh, uh, and was surprised with that but i'm pretty I- I'm pretty oh, good with my good. list. What about you?
1: Um, I had a lot of little things that that didn't really flesh out into much, and most of them are from The Phantom Menace. Um, uh, I had uh, Try spinning. That's a good trick. Um, No, Anakin. No, it's not. Um, uh, I I had Luke's Lesson 1 on my list as a potential, but I kind of figured you would talk about that. Um, For some reason, Qui-Gon's statement of there's always a bigger fish stood out, but then I was like... But why would he say that out loud in the moment? Like, Who is he trying to talk to? He's talking to the audience like, yeah, "Eh, that's not cool. He's not doing that. That's bad. Um, I think his line, again, sticking with Qui-Gon, his his statement, feel, don't think, in the pod race. um, When he says feel, don't think, I think that's terrible (laughs) advice. Um, You must do both things. It's not either or, it's both. Um, That's a really bad lesson. Uh, we talked about this weapon is your life. We talked about that's how that's not how we're going to win. Um, oh, oh, the the last one I have is in Empire Strikes Back. Lando says, "I had no choice. They arrived right before you did." Um, I think it tells us a lot about Lando in that moment. He's willing to make the dark deal in order to spare Cloud City, you know, his operation from the presence and, and oppression of the Empire. And, but I wonder what we're we're supposed to learn from that. Like, if we're supposed to learn about how the best motivations still can lead to wrong actions, I'm not quite sure uh, how well that's really woven into that part of the story. But that section always stood out to me. Like, he says, "I had no choice." Oh man, did you have? You had a choice. You just didn't like your choice because it could have cost you your life just cuz you don't like your choice doesn't mean you didn't have a choice. I, I kind of wonder if that one. I tinker with that one back and forth. I um, that I hate might that be whole like of, bad lesson 3.5. Yeah.
0: I hate the whole idea of anybody ever saying I didn't have a choice. You technically always have a choice. Every time. Like Yeah, but I wonder how like, you might I wonder want... how
1: pedantic that is. Yeah. Like it, it's very very tough because it's uh, it only applies when there is bad things happening um right. and but i think it's also used as an excuse for i didn't want to make the tough choice but in, in that situation he's also got to think about all the people who live there you know he, it's not just his life in the balance it's thousands of other lives in the balance as well and 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 i don't know that's that think... is a tough choice. Do you let the Empire sacrifice somebody who's allegedly your friend and, and people he brought with him in order to spare the thousands of lives you are actually responsible for? I I don't know. That's so tough.
0: I I hold that Lando made the right choice. I, I mean...
1: To sell, that... out Luke and, to sell out Han and Leia?
0: Yeah, I mean, like... He he like you said he had thousands of people to worry about. It's not like he did it so that his business wouldn't go under or whatever. And as soon as he realizes that the Empire is not who they claim to be that they're not going to hold up their end of the deal, he turns the tables and starts helping Leia and Han. I mean, it doesn't go great, but <laughs> he still he still does. He still I mean, let's not forget like Lando is the one who blew up the second Death Star. Let us not forget that. I I don't think he, I don't think Lando gets credit for what he does after the betrayal.
1: Yeah, but that doesn't wipe out the betrayal either. That's like but, Friday that's like patting the guy on the back who says I finally stopped beating my wife. You're so proud of him for stopping beating his wife, but you forgot he beat his wife.
0: But I don't think this is even like I don't think you can put these two things in the same place. Like he is the Baron Administrator for Cloud City. He's responsible for thousands of lives, and we have no idea when the last time him and Han even talked. Like the last time him and Han talked, as far as we know, <laughs>
1: was, on was beach.
0: Yes, and he says, "I hate you." I mean, come on. What if, like,
1: what like, if let's 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 rewrite history a little bit? Like, okay. what if the Solo movie had come out before Empire? Like, let's say they they were released in the chronological order in which they occur. What if instead of um, I had no choice. They arrived right before you did. He just looks at Han and goes, "I wanted my ship back."
0: <laughs> that would be great.
1: Yeah, I, I. He struts off and he goes, "L three, turn it up." <laughs>
0: yeah, I. Uh, I think I think Lando made made the right choice in that situation, because if Ooh. he had if he had died, if he had died, the Empire was gonna take over the city anyways. I mean. It's it's one of those it is he one of those catch twenty twos.
1: Torture and death. He's, I don't like I
0: really don't think he I don't I really don't think he knew that was part of the deal when he got into it. Because if you think about the character that Lando is, he he just makes deals left and right. Like he's a wheeler dealer, he's a gambler. I don't think he really thinks through a lot of the choices he makes until that moment when Han starts getting tortured and this, he says this deal's getting worse all the time. Like, I don't think he really thinks about... Like, I think he plans out his cons. I think he plans out, like, contingency plans for them. Like, we see that when he takes them to the Falcon for the first time in Solo and he's, like, playing them. Like, oh my goodness, how did I get impounded? Like, I don't understand this thing. When clearly, you know, he does. But I don't. I don't think he thought through... The deal that he was making because i think if he thought through the deal that he was making and he knew that's what it was going to be like he never would have turned because it, it was a big, still a big risk well, for him to turn on the empire
1: well he he was still treating it as an actual deal like an actual exchange right. or transaction ideas um and vader never had that in mind vader always knew exactly he was going to do exactly what he wanted However he wanted, no matter what. Yeah. So Lando wasn't playing by the same rules that Vader was, that the Empire was. And so that, you know, it's his fault. It's it's Lando's fault for underestimating the guy at the table. So I, I don't know that he made... Oh boy, this is where we get into very difficult definitions of what does it mean to make the right decision you know, versus what's a good decision decision is that the same thing i don't think that they always are no i don't Um, think it's the
0: same thing here
1: it's a but again i left it off my list
0: (laughs) i i think he just this very
1: reason i don't know the answer yeah
0: i think i think going to what you said he made the right choice but he didn't make a good choice i think there there was no good option for him his options were you protect han and leia and probably cost thousands of people their lives you give up Han and Leia but probably cost yourself everything or you just straight up die and everybody probably dies anyways so I think he made the best of the bad choices yeah it's like it's kind of like here's a knife a gun and some dynamite which one which way do you want to die kind of situation it's like in the end you end up dead it kind of sucks like you know, what do you choose out of these bad <laughs> options? Do you choose the one that's gonna be like most painful, or the one that's gonna be quickest? You know, it's it's a it was a yes. weird situation. Or cake. Hmm.
1: Yep. It was. It's rough. No, death or cake. It's an old. Never mind. Don't worry oh, about it. Yeah. If you understood that reference, hit me up on the Twitter.
0: <laughs> and that'll be a good segue to the end of the show. So follow us on Twitter at Clashing Sabers. Uh, you, of course, can always email us, Clashing Network at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to hook up with the uh, PowerPoint um, from my presentation, let me know, and I will get that to you. And like I said, I'm going to try to get some video <laughs> up. And uh, what else? And do who
1: have? doesn't love a good PowerPoint?
0: Everybody. It's a Google Slides. It's not a PowerPoint. I should just point that out. Okay. They're different. Um,
1: Are they? Okay. Sure thing. They have you know, know what Steve Jobs said about uh PowerPoint? What? Steve Jobs said uh PowerPoint is for idiots who can't remember their notes. <laughs>
0: Mine is literally like all visuals pretty much. It's not really notes. Um but yeah. No, I anyways, before we go off on another tangent and get to like a three hour show. Uh at clashing Sabers on Twitter, clashing sabers network at gmail.com. You can join us on Facebook. We are the Clashing Sabers community on Facebook.
1: Yes, the group, the group oh, is fun.
0: It is so much fun. Like, we were talking about it, the four of us, and like right away, people were just so interactive, and, and it has been so much fun. So, yeah, come join us over there. Uh, oh, yes, we're also having our contest still going on first five people to leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast place that you listen whether it's itunes or stitcher or soundcloud or wherever just send an image of your review and shoot us an email at clashingsabersnetwork at com, and we will hook you up with a sweet prize pack uh i think that's it oh we're on instagram now too i keep forgetting to plug the instagram even though we don't do that oh, on cool. Instagram. Yeah, I'm trying to do some more things on Instagram, but Twitter is the main place where we're active. Maybe we'll start. Um, Drew, you want to give your uh, your plugs?
1: Uh, sure. Uh, on the Twitter, it's at, at the Drew Brett. That's that's where you find me. Uh, um, and here on the show, uh, the two-week rotation seems to be working out pretty well. We'll keep that up as we can. Um, make sure to listen to the other shows that come up. You know, Mark's got fantastic entries with the Forever Star Wars. You guys do the book review with the Don't Burn the Sacred Text. Ash's entries with the Starships is really entertaining. She had her dad on for one episode. Uh, so it, fun. Ash, get your dad back on because that was awesome. We need to make that like... A recurring thing. I was. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. as As an old cranky man myself, I I, I approve and encourage. And shout out <laughs> uh, to but on the Facebook group. Hit us up on the Facebook oh, yeah. group. That's going to be a great place to do that and and trade uh, funny memes and gifts at each other. And then and some good conversation. Post your stuff. You know, if you write stuff or draw stuff or record stuff, share it. We want to check it out too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And shout out to Ash and her co host Ben over on the Skyhoppers podcast. Just released their 100th episode today. 100th so episode. Congratulations. Major props. Yeah, major props to them. So until next time, always remember what happens on Kato Nemoidia stays on Kato Nemoidia.
1: <laughs> but is it legal?
0: I'll make it legal.
1: You'll have to do it at the, the Senate. <laughs>
0: Oh, batch eight. Hi-ho! The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use it for informational and educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here. (laughs) I should
1: think that you Jedi would have more respect for the difference between knowledge and (laughs) wisdom.